This is Paul Gladder and Peter Freeby. Hello. And we're talking today with an entrepreneur, a social entrepreneur, a journalism entrepreneur named Sherry Cicino. Sherry, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Well, um, I am a storyteller. My organization is called Global Storymakers. And what we do is we go around the world capturing the indigenous stories of people in their mother tongue languages for the idea is to create mother tongue books for early learners. What I'm doing is I'm really doing proof of concept now so we can scale it. So we're creating, building out a curriculum so that anyone anywhere in the world can tap into our platform so they can become a certified storyteller and they can either participate in this project or do their own projects, which is wonderful. So anyone anywhere can work with a child to tell stories or write their own children's stories according to the various need. If you're working, if you want to do an environmental program, you can do that. If you want to write stories in the United States about your cat, you can do that. Or if you can do an indigenous storytelling, which is what I do, which is what primarily what this larger platform is, is designed for. In my case, we actually write in a primary language and a mother tongue in all books. So there's, it's dual languages. So there's two languages. A lot of languages are um, phonetic, so they're not necessarily written languages. So they can be, they can, if you can write it in, if the, if the primary language is English or if it's French, whatever it is, it can be written phonetically. And so there's an agreed upon usage of that, of the phonetics among the tribal people, how, of those who, who do write the language hmm. and how to then speak that language. And you know, why is it important that um, these people be part of this experiment, that, this project that you're working on? In your view, why is it important for, for them to do that? It's because it's so important for everyone to have lived in this world and to have le left a mark and to be participating in this whole process of life. Um, the thing is, is that there's a lot of uh, incredible people in the world who are, who are of various um, backgrounds and live in various places that whose stories are, we're losing their stories. What's happened is, in a lot of ways, the educational process has come in and or, or <clears throat> religion or different things have come in and affected how they live in their culture. And uh, but some of their culture, their tribal traditions and so on, are still practiced. And there's practice for a reason. It's part of a bonding and community building experience. It's part of who they are. It's part of um, what they know is their identity. And it's a, it's a preservation of that identity. And um, so the elders particularly are very, very interested in having this type of thing done. And so what has happened is, is when kids go off to boarding schools, learn English or French or whatever the primary language is, they come back and they start to lose that language. When you learn another language, you gain another soul. It isn't always the soul that you left with in your community. And, um, and so the idea is that when these kids are starting to feel disenfranchised from their community, from their families, 
and through storytelling, which is originally what we, we've been doing storytelling since the Bible. I mean, since there's, that's, those are stories, <laughs> you know, and the stories were told to do something. And uh, it was to teach the, the Christianity, it was teach, to teach the gospel. I have always been a storyteller. I started out as a newspaper reporter working with the Arizona Republic. I was a journalist on my high school paper and my college paper, and then I went to work at the Arizona Republic. I also worked in radio. I always found the people behind the story more interesting than the story itself. Um, what, 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 what motivated people to act in a certain way and do certain things, which, which ultimately I was there to cover that story. Um, but I found people more interesting than their actions. And um, so I started writing about people and I started focusing on, on people. I wrote about, um, I wrote, I was interested in football. So I wrote about the NFL. I wrote two books about the NFL. I interviewed football players and I wrote stories for little boys so that little boys could have uh, what we call stories from the hearts of their heroes. And that ended up becoming a very large project it grew I had partnership with three other football players and um, we grew that into a very large enterprise that we sold to ESPN and Walt Disney and that afforded me the opportunity to do it again and create stories by and for young people to for them to have a voice in their world and um, so I did I have done that and work in every country in the world Usually, I was originally telling stories, working with kids to tell their stories so that um, they would be then put into newspapers around the world. So they would talk about, oh, you know, Katrina hits or the tsunami hits or um, what it's like to be working as a, well, to live as a child soldier or be reintegrated as a child soldier. There's so many different things that happen to kids and around the world. And so those kids were um, telling their stories and writing theirs, and those became uh, part of many news articles. And um, so I had a news service that we would talk about a lot of those stories. And um, I became, uh, because of the nature of the work, I ended up going to law school and becoming a child rights lawyer, specializing in Article 17 of the Convention on the Rights of the Child which calls for a child to be educated in their own language, that every child has that right, and uh, for the preservation of culture, and just so that they have a right to access education. Um, so, but just because they have that right doesn't mean that a publisher has to publish those books. <laughs> so I set out to create those books so that every child could actually learn how to have critical thinking skills and uh, appreciation for their surroundings and their people and their culture through their own stories and in their mother tongue languages. When I'd heard where, about your focus in law, I wondered where did you go to law school to, to, with a focus like that? Is there any American law school with such a focus? And your answer was? No, there isn't. <laughs> no, there was, uh, well, for one, the United States is, is the only country in the world that has not uh, ratified the Convention on the Rights of the Child, which are human rights for children. Because of that, there wouldn't be probably any law school that would study that in the United States. But it's in um, outside of Geneva in Switzerland. And I went to the University of Fribourg. Their law school started before our country was started. It was in 1465. Right. 
So, and wow. so it was a it was a United Nations sanctioned program, and my specialty was studying. Um, well, what we study child rights, which is a study of international treaties as they pertain to the rights of a child. And then I became a specialist in Article 17 of the CRC. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Your product, as I understand it, is the software to help either you make a story if you're traveling somewhere or to help people who have a license in Kenya or uh Ethiopia or wherever, to, we, is that right? To, we to have a platform books? that we license people. Our revenue model is through selling licenses mm-hmm. for people to become a certified storyteller in our particular software and, lic- and, and storytelling process. Our storytelling process is we work with the Pointer Institute um, that trains professional journalists all over the world. We have other people like Byron Pitts from ABC News who offers his, his suggestions. We work with various um, organizations to provide storytelling tips, including musical celebrities and people like that. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways to tell stories and people have made a living at telling stories. So our, our idea is to, is to train, is to train and certify these people because we work, we, our books are not, um, they're not royalty-based books. Authors don't make money on the books. Um, or they're called open license, so which means once they're written, they're they're owned by the they're owned by the world. They're owned by the public domain. Hmm. If they're paid for by you as taxpayers of the United <laughs> States government, <laughs> and uh, and the French government and the UK and the um, British Council and um, the Australian government, the World Bank. So it's these entities that are really paying for this sort of thing to happen, and it becomes part of the world story. You said the storytelling is crowdsourced in a lot of ways. Is the, there's, there's an experiment on, on Reddit where they made a crowdsourced art movement, and it, initially it was amazing. You had a, a number of people that were um, sort of working together to create like these gorgeous, really complicated paintings. But over time, it sort of gave in to chaos. And the, the, the ability to judge quality with kind of the, the Reddit scale of crowdsourcing is almost impossible. And I, I can only imagine you know, creating a billion books through a method that is like crowdsourcing is a very difficult process. What, what's sort of the, the rubric that you went into that? Well, there's criteria for book writing. Every, um, the, the Global Reading Network and the Global Book Alliance has a um, criteria for books. There's a pedagogy. There's a, there's, um, there are someone who is five years old reads in a certain way and looks at fonts in a certain way and the size of fonts and the no, the number of the visual elements on a page. There's a, there's a science to that aspect of it. Um, art, I don't know about art. Um, in that way, what Reddit did, but um, I would imagine it wasn't manicured as 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 it could as it could have been, or it went and ended up in chaos. You know, it, it's it's like again, let's go back to thematic. Any art project at all can end up becoming chaotic because who knows what kind of style is it? But um, having all of those artists in the same area saying we're going to do themes, and the theme is 
tell me, do your visual interpretation of the environment. Do you know, that's a whole different thing or visual interpretation of the Maasai culture or whatever that is. And it can come out in a lot of different ways. But we, we again, we crowdsourcing means inclusivity of the crowd, of the people. It means that everyone's story is valid and everyone's story can be told. It doesn't mean every story will be invested in printed books. How do you determine what goes into print then? Is there... Are the people on the ground determining that, or is there a, a sort of a, a hierarchical structure to make those decisions? Well, it depends on depends on the grant, the nature of the grant, and what we're what we're doing. Um, it, there is, if they're going to be distributed in schools, um, they um, have a, a curriculum board. Who's, who, for once, it has to look like this, it has to sound like this, and has to be this number of pages, that sort of thing. Um, then they review it, and they, we have, um, I insist on children testing, being the, they have to be objectively um, part of that process. And um, their feedback is also important. They have to love the book. I don't want them to learn something. I want them to love the book and learn something, you know? So... Um, but there is a there is a process of acceptance for print distribution. Last question from me: If if folks from the media project um, want to get involved as a, in this global story makers movement or in a license, how what what do they do? How do they do it? Well, they go to globalstorymakers.com, and uh, they can sign up for information, or there's a place they can send a click here and send a, a note to our people and our people will respond <laughs> particularly if they're interested in doing something in other countries if we we're we're putting together a network of people who want to participate in this process and so um, we're, we're actively engaging people who are writers who are photographers who are illustrators who are, or who people who are really good in technology, who actually want to sit in their home in their pajamas in Florida and assemble a book of the Kenyan, of Kenyan tribal people. <laughs> Do you know they can actually just assemble that book on their computer once they get all the information from them. So there's, there's, there's a way many people can be involved in this process. Wonderful. So as Sherry said, you can go to globalstorymakers.com and learn more about this project. Thank you so much, Sherry, for being with us today and telling us about your work. Thank you. It's a pleasure. This episode of the Religion Unplugged podcast was hosted by executive editor Paul Gladder, edited and produced by Peter Freeby. Special thanks to Religion Unplugged managing editor Megan Clark. The Religion Unplugged podcast is a production of religionunplugged.com and is a part of The Media Project, a nonprofit dedicated to equipping journalists to cover religion. To read our award-winning global religion news coverage or to find out more about Religion Unplugged or The Media Project, visit religionunplugged.com or follow us on Twitter at ReligionMag.